We are studying the letter to the church in Ephesus. We are in Ephesians chapter 4, looking at the first six verses. I love the old hymns. Do you realize how much theology is in them? I mean, listen, I love music. I grew up in the 60s and 70s when there was really good music. Okay, but I, I want you to understand something. When I hear some of the music today, okay, that's fine. But when you get to the old hymns, the first time I ever heard Amazing Grace was in 1971. Okay, it was June, June 28th, 29th, sorry, 1971. I remember it exactly. A Marine Corps bagpipe band played Amazing Grace. It was at my dad's funeral. So I remember Amazing Grace. I didn't even know the Marine Corps had bagpipes. So you learn something new every day. Yeah, if you listen to the words you're singing, when I stand in glory, have you ever thought about that? When I stand in glory, I shall be (laughs) tongue-tied or on my knees. If I stand, it'll be just for a second. I don't know. Anyway, let's get into Ephesians. Chapter 4, the reading of the Holy Word of God, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, please teach us. Help us to understand uh, the, the passion that the Apostle Paul has here. And yet, Father, so much that is missing in our churches today. Father, I, I can look in Revelations and see this was a doctrinally strong church and yet father they had lost their first love father let us not be guilty of that and so father i ask that we understand that the apostle paul who called himself a prisoner begs us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with you have called help us help us to walk help us to walk worthy help us to walk in the power that spoke existence into being. Amen. In verse 1 of this text, we have the call. Walk worthy. A worthy walk is what we are being called to. You're coming out of three chapters of theology. Very deep theology. Uh, He starts chapter 1 out with explaining to the believers the plan that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit made 
before creation. So you get a look into the throne room of God and his plans. Chapter 2, you start seeing it unfold. And what does it look like? What does it look like to the practical everyday person? Chapter 3, he prays we get it. I hope you get this. Why? Because 4, 5, and 6 is that in light of this, this is how you should look. One of the things that I see in the evangelical community today is we all know what we're supposed to do. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We are to not exasperate our children, but it is fun. We are to treat our, our, our kids well. We are to work with our employers and if we are employees. All of this stuff, we, we, yeah, I know. Okay, I know what it says. I remember the first time I went to Russia, uh, and, and it was right after socialism had collapsed, and everybody was trying to hire workers. And it was amazing to me because they wanted Christians. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. You got 70 years that there ain't no God. And now you want to hire Christians. You know why? Because Christians live the fact that they did everything as unto the Lord. You know what that means? They're good employees. They're good employees. And so they all... Now, I haven't been back in a while. The last administration had some kind of a political tiff and uh, I had a multi-entry visa and all of those were canceled. So I don't go back or haven't been back. But I, I find that fascinating. I wish I could say that was true here. Should be. But I think one of the problems that we have in the American church is we don't have the theology I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't understand what I possess that enables me to do it. And I, and I think that's, a, that's part of our struggle. I can read it and say, okay, um, I'm not supposed to marry an unbeliever. Well, why are you not supposed to marry an unbeliever? Because you can't serve two masters. But see, if you don't have the theology on the other side of it, you're just saying, oh, that sounds grouchy. Well, if I marry them, maybe they can get saved. You don't have that guarantee. Paul told the church in Corinth. So, so you see what I'm trying to get at? We, so many times we know, here's what we do. But we don't know what we possess that causes us to do it. I, I was talking to... Uh, a person. And I told him, I said, if you're true to scripture, the easiest thing on the planet is to be a Christian because God does it all. Now the question is, you believe that? That's between you and him. I know that if I'm working at it, that means I'm working at it. I know that if it's going perfectly, I know he's working at it. So we have this call. 
We are to walk worthy. But we've been looking at the characteristics of this worthy walk. What are the characteristics of this walk? Uh, Listen, the goal is the unity of peace. All right, verse 4. But you have to have the others to get the unity of peace. It starts off with what? All humility. Okay, he uses the word all there, meaning what? In everything that you do, whatever you're dealing with, you do it humbly. All right? Let's be realistic. That's not really in our nature, is it? Humility? Nah. I can fake it for a minute. As long as you give me an attaboy in the middle of it. Right? But it's in everything you are humble. You are humble. But yet, then we do it in gentleness. If I'm humble, then gentleness is easy. Gentleness in the original language, it literally means power under control. I liken it to a a tamed lion. Uh, Have you ever seen them? I mean, you can pet them. It's like this big, huge kitty. Except there's still that part of you that says, you know, in a second, (laughs) this can be done. But the lion is listening to its master. So in gentleness or meekness, whichever term it is, I'm listening to my master. I shared with you guys this several weeks ago that what it means is I don't defend myself. You can call me whatever you want. You can accuse me of whatever you want. You can throw whatever you want at me. So what? I will defend my king. I will defend his word. And I will be adamant about it. And that's when I remember reading an article. It was uh, lectures to my students by Charles Spurgeon. And he was talking about uh, an interview that he had with a newspaper guy. And the guy says, well, why don't you get into apologetics? The, the defending of, of the gospel. And he smiled at the man, he said. And he says, all I do is open the cage and turn loose the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I was like, yeah, I don't have to defend it. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. <laughs> Watch this. All right, so these are the things that I want us to think about because it comes out of humility, this gentleness that says, it ain't about me, it's about him, which produces what? Patience. Patience. We all have no problem with patience, right? Patience is just, that's just second nature to me. I don't, I'm not in a hurry about nothing. Okay, right? Patience is easy. It's not of your nature. But all of these are bringing us to a long-suffering love. I use long-suffering because there are times, the New American Standard translates it a tolerance, and and I understand why they translated it that way, but long-suffering seems more like it because there are times when you get into a relationship or you're dealing with people that you realize that you are in a long-suffering position. But because of my humility and my meekness and my patience, it's a piece of cake. It's a piece of cake. Now, every time I deal with uh, a situation or an individual that uh, seems like all it wants to do is suck the life out of you, 
I just keep thinking, you know, be long-suffering. And if I ever have any questions about it, I think about how long-suffering my Lord was with me and is with me. And if he can be that long-suffering with me, I don't care what's going on around here. Unity and peace. That is the goal of the church. You ever thought about that? The goal of the church. I remember getting into a... a uh, I was involved in a confrontation among some deacons in a Russian church. Now, talk about being in an awkward place. Okay? I think I was supposed to be the NATO guy. Because I'm getting the information through an interpreter. And you, if you don't know the Russian culture, they are very, uh, how shall I say this, adamant. Okay, so you got this, and then you're like, oh, yay, whoa. I'll go outside and eat an apple. <laughs> okay, and, and so it would go back and forth between these three and the pastor, and, and, and you just listen to it. And I remember going to this text when it became my turn. Okay, and I took him, I said, uh, it doesn't sound like all humility. Definitely is not meekness. Okay, and obviously, patience has run out. I don't want to get into all the details of it, but, but I, I understood what was going on, and, and, and yet I looked at it, and it was, for an American, it was bizarre, because all four said, we must repent, and they bowed on the floor on their knees and begged God to forgive them. And I'm sitting there going, you ain't see that in America. I mean, they may want to do it, but they ain't going to. I ain't doing that in front of you, buddy. I'm going to go over here. But I was shocked by it. So I bowed on my knees and I repented. I didn't know what for. You know, amen, brother. You know, I thank God that he showed, you know, this really works. That is the goal of the church is Unity. It reminds me over my desk or behind my desk on the wall is a picture. It's got the Bible taken off of this pulpit. And my favorite, uh, my favorite verse is a verse that when I became a pastor, I realized this in Colossians 1.28 is that it is my goal to present every man complete in Christ. Got my job cut out for me, don't I? We call that job security. Okay? Because if I present every man complete in Christ, what does the church look like? Unity and peace. Interesting, isn't it? Such a task. See, the thing is, is that, and I see this a lot. I, I meet weekly, or I do sometimes weekly, with a numerous pastors here in Castle Rock. Douglas County, actually. And what I've realized is, is that the church is not just a social club. It isn't, you know, let's have a church of millennials. Or let's have a church of singles. Or let's have a church of... That's not what this is about. You know, we've got a church, all of our men like to hunt. I like to find myself. 
But you see what I'm trying to get at? That ain't what this is. Timothy tells me in 1 Timothy that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. It's a divine institution of God. When I look at the church, when I think about the church, it was brought up last week. I've never been in another church but this one. I mean, it's not that I haven't gone into other places. This is the only church I've ever been a part of, ever. Okay? And do you know how odd that is? I mean, that is, is I came from within. Now, I'd like to tell you that it was my plan, but those who know me, you couldn't plan what you're going to do tomorrow. But I understood that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. It is, the church is supernaturally born. The, the, the church is supernaturally sustained. The church is supernatural in its eternal destiny. The church is a miracle. It's a miracle. And yet we are laissez-faire when it comes to the church. Beloved saints, when we are humble, meek, patient, and loving, then there will be unity. Some of your translations will say enduring unity. Some will say diligent in the unity. The word is subdazo in the Greek. And it's an interesting word. It's one of the reasons that I believe that the New Testament was written in the Greek. The, the, the Greek language, it's like the English language is chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. But the Greek language is like 33 flavors. All right. So this word in the original language has meaning to it. One is to work at it, but it also implies hurry. It's the same verb I see used by Paul once in Second Timothy and once in Titus. In Titus, he said, uh, be diligent to come to me. Hurry it up and work at it. Get here as quick as you can. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Be diligent to show yourself approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed. Okay? So the idea of the word, if I take it in, a, in an umbrella fashion, it's zeal. Okay? But in that zeal, there's hard effort. And you need to do it now. Okay, hurry up, let's get it at it. I think that one of the things that is amazing to me about the word is that we are to work at this unity and we need to do it with a tremendous commitment. Okay, listen. I, it's like I said, I have been in this church... I, I've been in this church for 35 years. I've been senior pastor for uh, 25 years in a week. <laughs> All right? And one of the things that I have watched the church do, and they're very committed with zeal, is disunity. 
I make a joke. I'm allowed to do that. I'm in a Baptist church. Okay? Christ makes the church by multiplication. The Baptists do it by division. Okay? And and everybody can say, well, you can't say, yeah, I've been in here long enough. I'm allowed to say it. But that's what we do. Why? Somebody got their feelings hurt. Somebody did this. You looked at me wrong. You didn't wave at me. You didn't shake my hand. How come you didn't greet me? How come you didn't, you know, and you just. I know a guy who took a Bible study of 10 people and grew it into a church of a thousand in Hamilton, Montana. Hamilton, Montana is not noted for its population. He was having people traveling to the church that were an hour away. In Montana, Western Montana. All right? And he labored under God's word, and this thing grew. And then one day he decided, instead of passing the plate, he was going to put offering boxes in the back of the auditorium. You know, a week later they fired him. Now that's commitment. We are to work at unity. And we need to hurry and do it. This text right here, this verse is a very personal passage. If you are going to hurry up and work at unity, it has to be a hurry up and start in your own heart. One of the things that I've learned as a pastor, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't argue with people. Okay, I'll give you the scripture, but what I've learned is I I can't make you understand it. I can't make you believe it. But here's what I do. I'll give you the scripture and you can walk away mad. I'm going to walk back in my office. I'm going to pray for you. It's I mean, that's I've, I've learned that in my study of Ephesians. Paul gives some mind-numbing theology, and then he prays that God will enlighten their hearts so they understand it. So this text is personal. You know that unity in the body, I don't care how big it is or how small it is, is done one at a time. Each one of you have got to get before the throne of God and say, help me. Remember the prayer coming out of chapter 3? Be strengthened in the inner man by the might of the Holy Spirit so Christ will be comfortable in you. And you'll understand the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then God, the fullness of God will be there and He will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine. See, Paul prayed that. Then he jumps into this. Hey, walk worthy of your calling. It's a balance in our lives. It's, it's, I think one of the things that drives me bonkers at times is there's so little theology in the church. And, it, and it's kind of, if you think about it, <laughs> what's the point? I have some really good storytellers. Okay, and there's some guys that, that are really exceptional at explaining this is what you need to do and why. But there is very few guys standing at the pulpit saying, let me show you the mind of God. 
one at a time to walk worthy. But no, we have to work at it, keeping the peace. And we need to hurry. Kittle, the Greek uh, scholar, said this, and I quote, It's a holy zeal demanding full dedication, unquote. A set-apart holy, set-apart zeal demanding full dedication. And Terry, the great Greek scholar, would say, get after it. (laughs) And the time is now. Look around at the body of Christ and see the disunity. We have been in this book for some time. And I was telling somebody this week. I knew going into this book that it would scour this church. And people said, well, you really want to do that? I don't think it's me doing it, is it? It's this book. Why? This book is focused on the body of Christ. One of the things I have learned, and I'm, please understand, I know we've got some visitors here. I was never raised in the church. Okay? I, I didn't know what an Arminianist was. I didn't know what a Calvinist was. All I knew is that I read the Bible. That's so my limitations on what, quote unquote, the church was, was based on, wonder what this thing says. Okay, so that's, that's been an advantage, but it also has allowed me to walk into minefields unexpectedly. Okay? So I didn't know what that is. And I remember several times that I've been with some really, really, really smart people. Okay, and so I always had the same question, whether it was a Presbyterian guy, an independent guy, whatever. I would always ask the same question. Where did denominations come from? Because I see them in the New Testament, Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes. And I don't think we want to be of those three, do we? But now we've got Methodists and Baptists and Independent and Independent Baptists and American Baptists and whatever. Presbyterian, Methodist, you know, we got all kinds of things. And so now I've been around long enough now to say, okay, you're based on method. You're based on a presbyteros. You're based on water baptism. You're based on whatever. Okay, so I understand, but I'm thinking that our focus is missed. If our thing is I'm a Baptist, so I'm worried about baptizing people. I'll cross that bridge when the person's ready. But I, it, what I've learned is denominations only divide us. I know a guy that was so fed up with denominations, he started his own. And it's well, brilliant because he asked me, you want to join? No, I, that's, that's crazy. But what I have learned is theology unites us. I have been around Presbyterians. I've been around not very many Methodists, one or two. I've been around a whole bunch of people that are willing to reason together from the Scripture, and we're united. Independence. And and I'm still trying to figure out, uh, but we're a Bible church. And I was, I'm stupid enough to say, is there something else? if If you're not a Bible church, then... What would you be? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's just me. 
The reality is, we are here to learn in humility. And we learn in humility, and then we love one another. And it is time now. Please understand, this is not what I'm trying to teach, is not an ecumenical movement. Okay? It is each believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, each one trying to evaluate their own heart and working to a conclusion. What should you be? Not what others are. See, that's easy. What should you be? Be what I am supposed to be, that I may love those who are around me. Even those who are a little bit tough. Some people are tough to love, aren't they? Or maybe you guys got a special group. But my groups at times, you're like, oh, here we go again. When we do that, it will grow like a wildfire. Love the ones that are around me, and they will love those around them. And guess what? They will love the ones that are around them, who will love the ones who are around them. And all of a sudden, you start seeing exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine. Simply being in your heart. Don't worry about mine. What we are supposed to be. Working at unity is a full-time task. And I, it demands full effort of every Christian. I don't care where you are. I don't care how spiritually mature you are. I don't care how much Bible study you've done. I don't care what you've memorized. You know, I, I know some of the grouchiest people that I've ever run into. I memorized Romans. Wow, cool. <laughs> I can tell you where it's at in the Bible. <laughs> I've taught it a whole bunch of times. But I ain't memorized it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, you need to learn how to use your right or left brain. I need to use what's left of my brain. <laughs> so that that's not on the list. If I look around and... Um, I care about unity. Then if I care about unity, then I have to put self-ware. Out of the way. Out of the way. I've had people who wanted to accuse me and debate me and all the rest of it. And I've learned that I don't fight back. Tell me where it's at in the Scripture and amen. If you can't tell me where it's at in the Scripture, of course, then they all get mad at me because, well, that's all you do is read the Bible. I won't know where it's at. Well, then it's your opinion. Because okay? I have an opinion too, believe it or not. I just learned that it accomplishes the same as your opinion. Nothing. We can all... You know what I really like about it? I, I watch people and, and there's this, I hear it among the pastors here in town. And they are wanting to create unity. They're wanting to build unity. You know what? I love those, some of them guys. 
Okay? And at your best effort, what's so awesome about it, you can't do it. All we do when it comes to unity in our own strength is destroy it. Or we can start our own denomination. This text says the Holy Spirit's already done it. It says, preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You know what's what's missing there? It doesn't say create it. It doesn't say build it. He said, really work hard and hurry to keep it. Why? Because it's already there. That's nice for me as, as a pastor. I don't have to create it. It's like I've had people saying, what are you doing to build a church? Nothing. Because if we're expecting me to build a church, we are in trouble. Because he said he was going to build it, and I'm not competing with him. He made us one. Remember, some of you have been here, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. We were baptized into 49,000 bodies. No, we were baptized into one body. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, We all have the Spirit of Christ. You know what that tells me? It's a common Holy Spirit. He's with all of us. The Holy Spirit is in me is the same one that's in you. We are one body. He made us one. The unity is already ours. All we are to do is to work hard and keep it. We are in the maintaining business. It's not organizational. It's not ecumenical. It's personal. If you don't feel unified with the body of Christ, you know what I would suggest? Go look in a mirror and ask yourself why. And I I would go back and say that the key, the single greatest key to the lock is humility. If you want to get that thing open, you got to be humble about it. See, that's what holds it. Now, I want to show you something here else here. It says, it's the unity of the Spirit. He did it. Okay? In the bond of peace. Okay, the word bond there is really cool. It means a belt. Okay, you know, anytime I, I think about a belt, it's to hold up my drawers. I know that, that doesn't sound theological, does it? But anyway. Okay, when I think about the body of Christ standing, then I think about the belt of peace, and that pulls it all together. That's the bond of peace, the belt of peace. A beautiful peace that is born of love. That's what Paul is talking to you and me about. You know, I listen to people had a young lady, uh, you guys will remember if I, t- I told you her name, and, and she stays in contact with me, and she keeps telling me she wants peace. I'm trying to find peace. I need peace. I don't have any peace, and everything's, I don't have no peace. 
And I, and I told her, I said, you don't have Christ. No, I have Christ. <laughs> then why don't you have peace? And then you go through the scriptures and then she don't talk to me for a month or so and then she'll text me or something. I remember the Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he says, I wish you had the same love as Christ. And you know what I found in Ephesians? You can when you walk worthy, when you humble yourself, when you are strengthened in the inner man by the might of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3. Then you will have the love of Christ that does not think on your own things. If I don't think on my own things, guess what? I have peace. I was going home yesterday. And I was hit, went over the hill, and I looked, and there's this big buck deer standing alongside the road. And so I've been out there long enough. I blew the horn, because usually the deer go, and all that stuff. So I blew the horn, and it looked over at me. And then as I got up there, it just run right out and rammed into my truck. And I was like, whoa, what was up with you, man? So I pull off the side. I have a one-ton, so it's got those little plastic fenders on the back. I've only got one now. <laughs> So, so I get out, and I thought, well, I'll get this plastic over and off the road and all the rest of it. So I go walking back up the hill where it happened. <laughs> and then I started thinking, okay, so what do I do when I find this deer and it's not dead? Oh, geez. Everything's getting complicated. So I walk up, I throw the plastic off the road and all the rest of it, and I'm looking around. He's not right there by the road. Now, now listen, he hit me hard enough to bend my steel bed. Okay, so I mean he, I was doing 55, I don't know how fast he was going, but he bent my truck. And I was like, wow, man. I mean, I can understand blowing up the plastic, but you bent steel. And so I'm looking around and looking down in the ditch and I walk down toward the fence and I look down, there's this wash and I walk down in the wash. He's standing down there looking up at me. Ain't no blood in him or nothing. I was waiting for him to stick his tongue out at me. And, and I went, wah! And it just sort of, and it wasn't limping or anything. I just walks up the hill and leaves. But you know what? I had a piece that the little bugger wasn't dead. Now, I used to be a hunter, but I was glad that I hadn't killed it. Or it hadn't killed itself, however you wanted to. And there was a piece about it. And then when I walked back to the tr- truck, that piece was all gone. I was like, gee, mini. <laughs> so, nah. I'm just kidding. Come on. Okay. And and I, I share that because there's times if I'm worried about my stuff, the peace disappears quickly, doesn't it? If I'm worried about other people's stuff, then I have the peace of the Lord because I'm walking in the love of the Lord. That's how the bonds of peace, that's how the belt of peace holds it together. True peace is based on true love. And I shared with you what true love was. Agapon or agape. Okay. That love says I'm here to give unrestrained and I do not care what the response is. I'm not asking for anything in return. 
That's true love. When you are in that place in the inner man, then you will know the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding. True peace is based on this that love. It is based on true patience. It is based on true meekness. And it is born out of all humility. And that makes us one. You know what the tragedy is about that? This is the basics of Christianity. I mean, this is Christianity 101. As B.B. Warfield said, and I quoted last week, it is the obliteration of self. It's basic. It's basic Christianity that we be one. So we've looked at the call and the characteristics of the worthy walk. Next week we will see the cause of the worthy walk. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the amazing things that you do and the power that spoke existence into being, that same power you have poured into your people. Father, I pray that you would put in each and every one of us a hunger and a thirst for your book, that we would drink deep of it, we'd be overwhelmed by it, and that, Father, we would have a passion for you second to nothing. Lord, help us. Help us to walk worthy of this amazing call. Father, help us in humility, gentleness, patience, love, knowing that we will be diligently preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. To you, my King, in Christ's name, amen.